Good evening, listeners. It's Wednesday, and that means that you're listening to Spoiler Alert. June is National Indigenous History Month, and we here at Spoiler Alert took some time this week to watch some films created by Indigenous filmmakers, which I will say was a little bit harder than I would have liked it to have been, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, like we only talk about Fast Runner so many times. So uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I would like to see more. That's all. That's we'll plant that. We'll draw that line now. Uh, I'm joined via Zoom teleconference by my co-host, Sean and Sonia. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi. Hi. What's going on? It's good. It's it's summer. And it's not sweltering summer, it's like spring spring summer. Well, it's a it's a little bit sweltering summer. Yeah. I turned, off my, I turned off my AC unit for you fine folks, so oh. you get to watch me just get wet, baby. <laughs> <laughs> get get wet indeed. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sean. I'm uh, ready. <laughs> I don't think I was ready for that. <laughs> um as I mentioned, uh, we're talking about uh, films created by Indigenous filmmakers. But before we get into the movies that we watched this week, when we talk about Indigenous film, what what comes to mind for you guys? Well, someone who comes to mind for me, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like you can't talk about Indigenous film, especially in what's called North America, without talking about Alanis Obamsawin, who is a documentary filmmaker um, who was raised primarily in Quebec, but is Abenaki. Um, and she has made some really important documentaries for decades, literal decades, um, including things like Kanesataki, uh, 270 Years of Resistance. Um, basically, if you go, if you, if you want to see any of her work and you go on the NFB, the National Film Board website, um, you can find lots of great stuff from her. She's done a lot of really important activist work and has just consistently made films that I think uh, belie the true history of especially this country that we live in. So, yeah, a very important one, I think. Um, Thank you. I'm going to talk about a fellow. So I grew up in a small town. I only had two channels growing up, um, CTV and CBC. And Mm -hmm. there was a man that was all over my television and his name was Graham Green. Mm-hmm. And um, he was in like, literally he was playing a inept like mechanic in the red green show. He was doing drama in like North of 60. He was like, he's outrageous. Like, and mm-hmm. I looked up his IMDb today. He has like close to 200 credits. Yeah. And I'm like, this man does not stop working. And like the, the breadth of roles he plays is crazy. Um, he's in like, he's in Transamerica. He's in like, uh, he's in that, he's in this weird um, CBC, like Halifax explosion movie. Like, you know, the, oh. <laughs> you know, the, you know, the Canadian television look. Oh, he's, yeah. It's yes. in one of those, like he, uh, he's just all over this, all over, film and television in Canada and he's just such a comforting presence to me and in one of the uh, movies we watched today he popped up as a talking head and I was like I honestly expected you to be here um, <laughs> and like I, I, I feel like for our next March Madness I'm like I'm oh. going to push his little his little name across the table because I think he deserves to be in there 
Of course. Yeah, no, that would be that would be cool. And he is just like in everything. Everything. And, like and like not even in like a negative way. Maybe for a while, but then it was just like, oh, like this guy's a solid actor for you know any he's like a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, very like you know, you just throw him in throw him in wherever. Um uh I always well uh Zacharias Kunick, I think how you say his name, uh director of the Fast Runner. Uh obviously for you know, like you're in film school, you hear about some hot shots and he is definitely one, and then you watch his work, right, and it's it's so incredible. Um but uh I always like to bring up have I talked to you guys about Blackfly? Do you know what Blackfly is? I don't know. No, so. I don't think so. Uh so Blackfly it's it's kind of this crazy show. It's not a um but it's um Ron James plays Blackfly, this guy who lives in a trading post, like a trapping post in uh somewhere in Quebec uh when there were trappers and such. Um I remember it being really funny. I'm kind of scared to watch it again. Uh Colin Mockery is in it. Um and as is Lauren Cardinal in like a pretty accurate yet still kind of racist role <laughs> um mm-hmm. as as chief smack your face in oh, uh, God. Okay. <laughs> which is yeah um but the reason i wanted to bring up blackfly is because like that's kind of all i had for a really long time like decades and like that's kind of the only canadian thing you know like like we don't know a lot about like any of that past at all, even the indigenous parts at all. So hopefully we get more of that as time goes on because well frankly it's just a a weird, awkward sort of space of nothing. Yeah, the television was a wasteland, like um <laughs> there was like, you know, indigenous circle and like tribal trails that I <laughs> would watch growing up. Um and then like uh, north of 60, which I mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. hanging out in Lynx River. But there was also kind of too, like, it was, like, dramatic. It was kind of too adult for me. And so I didn't mm. really watch a lot of it. Um, but, yeah, the, you know, it is sort of a big gaping space. It's almost like there's been a deliberate effort by colonial <laughs> figures to mm. erase the history of this nation and how it was essentially founded on genocide. Weird. <laughs> Sonia, that truthfully, that that there's no way that that could possibly be true. No, certainly not. It, it's it's not as if the entire media blackout of any of this content could in any way be coordinated. Of course. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on to other things. <laughs> we but I do remember, week. like the Oscars cycle when in like uh, when um, the Fast Runner was popping. What was that mm-hmm. like two thousand like in two or something two thousand one, and I never obviously watched it when I was a teen because it wasn't play, it didn't play at the Weyburn Sioux Theater. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, yeah, yeah. But it, I was like, it was so visually striking from literally the clips that would just be played in the the clip packets, like those sunglasses, like I think mm-hmm. you know with the lines and like just the his just like torn up feet and like some shots just like really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I've, when I was like, what, 13. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
And I wasn't um, finding it on Tubi or no wherever, <laughs> wherever it, we yeah, can do our screening now. And it, it, if anywhere, it should have been shown at Weyburn, probably, f- mm. you know, pretty prominently more than most. But uh, that's just sort of highlighting the problem that we have here. Anyway, you guys, we watched three movies this week. Um, one of us picks, picked Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Uh, what did we? Uh, what are our thoughts about it? Um, okay, so this was my pick, Rhymes for Young Ghouls. This is a 2013 movie by Jeff Barnaby. Um, and I just want to say, Sean picked his movie first, and I picked mine second. And I did not realize I was picking a movie with the same director. I did not mean to make it Jeff Barnaby Hour, but here we are. <laughs> it's the it's Barnaby Hour. It's the Barnaby Hour. It, now, it is funny because I was like, wow, this one also takes place at the Red Crow-like <laughs> reservation in Quebec. I'm like, this is the craziest coincidence I've ever heard of. Uh, yeah, no, I will say that, like, off the hop, like, I did not mind taking in two mm. of these movies at all. And I will find more. But uh, go ahead, Sonia. Yeah, same, because it was interesting seeing, like, his style kind of develop. Um, but yeah, so essentially, this movie follows... Um, a teenage girl named Isla, um, I believe in like nineteen, the mid nineteen seventies. Yeah, um, yeah. On the Red Crow Mi'kmaq Reserve in Quebec, um, and basically, it sort of follows the goings on in the community. Um, some like a major tragedy that occurs very early in her life, and then um, her dad gets arrested that same night, and so. Then it, like, flashes forward to her teenage days. Um, And, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain what it's about, I guess. It sort of is about the ultimate conflict that she instigates with an Indian agent who runs the residential school um, just outside the community who, like, abused her parents and is this real force for evil in the community um and it's sort of about her plot this revenge plot that she cooks up to steal some money back from him and to sort of humiliate him um i thought it was really a really interesting and effective movie um that kind of takes the extreme violence of residential schools and turns it into um like almost like a pulpy action-y movie in a way mm-hmm. yeah it's sort of it was like, giving a little tarantino-y mm-hmm. revenge yeah. vibes at some mm-hmm. points like Which i was I read... like is this gonna end with a like big like sh- explosion or like something like that yeah which i wouldn't mind it yeah which is really interesting i think a really interesting tone for this kind of movie and sort of like the subject matter at hand um because it's a really interesting way of kind of like dealing with the tragedy of residential school and the violence of it. And I I was particularly interested in how kind of the really broad evil and violence of residential schools and, and the whole colonial system, like the Indian agent system, was really consolidated in the character of um, Popper, the Indian agent himself. Um, yeah, he I think was giving a, yeah. very mustache twirly. <laughs> like yeah like yeah and he, he had the <laughs> he was evil henchman. evil yeah yeah he had many evil but he had like a main evil henchman mm-hmm. which um um i i will say 
that I think for both of the films that we're going to talk about by Jeff Barnaby, um, there is something really beautiful about his like cinematography and the way that they are making these films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. um, I think that um, Rhymes for Young Ghouls kind of suffers of like being seventeen things at once, where it should have been yeah. ten, or you know. Um, but it kind of jumps back and forth between a bunch of different stories. All like you know, it's chaos. Everything's happening at once. Um, but I really loved how like she and her uncle was that her actual uncle or mm. the guy watching over her. Yeah. Uh, um, had, it's funny because he plays um a character in the other movie, the same actor yeah. who has his name is very similar. Yeah, it's, it's like yes. Burner and Boomer. Bumper and Boomer. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I really liked, like, they have this, like, I'm going to call it a, like, a bar for drugs and whatnot. But, um, you know, it's showing all these different ways that she can make, you know, different versions of, of illegal narcotical Cocktails. things. Yeah. And um, I, like, I could have watched 40 minutes of that, I think. You know, That's just like, like them explaining. Joints? Yeah. And, like, but, like, the whole, like, sort of, like, world of it and how it was kind of, like... Not magical, but like it had that quality, and um, it was just a really interesting way to sort of see, you know, how they how they're existing and how they're pulling off what they're pulling off in terms of like her paying off uh, the bad people to not go to school, and you know, like how far they have to go and like how far the community's fallen, but also just sort of like the image of and it's on the cover, of course, like her and her like. Her with a gas mask on, doing her work, and then her friends guarding her, you know? Like, it's just this, like, almost uh, Renaissancean image, and, like, sort of shot that way, too. But just, like, uh, just some, like, juicy, juicy shots, you guys. There was juicy yeah. shots. Like, filmically, it was really amazing. There's, like, a part, there's a scene that's very, like, beautiful and horrifying when she is kind of having a, like, magical, sort of realist like vision and she's walking in the forest and she just comes across like this pit of like bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this looks incredible. But it was also very sad and scary. Um, and a qu- minor quibble. I was like, is it not in the 1970s? Like mm. it didn't really place me there in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like I- if I didn't have the, the, you know, the date stamped at the beginning, I wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. I, I think both of them sort of suffer from looking too modern, which yeah. honestly is like the littlest gripe that probably could be said about them. But uh, I mean, other than that, it was great. I oh, did yeah. also wonder if that, because I also had that vibe, and I did wonder at one point if that kind of timelessness was almost a choice to kind of like, illustrate Maybe. the the fact that a residential schools did exist into the like until after i was born um and that b like these same kind of systems are still in place so you know basically it's just that the child and family services system has replaced residential schools as the way mm-hmm. that we disrupt indigenous families and that let this be the point where I note that there are more indigenous kids in care now than there were at the height of residential schools. So like, I did wonder if it was sort of that sense of like, this is always, this is, this has always been 
the dynamic in the in this country. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was maybe that. And I yeah, did, I, I did just want to highlight, um, Kawena Hira, uh, Devery Jacobs' performance as Isla, um, because she, I think, is just an incredible actor, and yeah, she's gorgeous. Brought a lot, and she also featured mm-hmm. in uh, the other film that we watched too. Yeah, he has like a little a gang of players mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, it's them. Um, something else I wanted to bring up was when we drift into the strip club. It is called Fish Mittens. And I just wanted that to be to be pointed out and, you know, some eyes and ears on it. Yeah, incredible. Um, I would also like to mention that for both both of um, uh, Jeff's films that we watched, I'm just making sure what I'm saying is true because it's what I felt. It looks. Yes. Um. I do think that this is a case, you guys, we've, our last show was the long show, and you've heard me natter on about how things are too long, and I think that these were not, like, at no point did I feel like the pacing was, like, trying to, and I, I believe that these people are just trying to make whatever they can last as long as they possibly can, because, like, these films are being made for, like, a million dollars, a million and a half dollars, Mm -hmm. so it's a totally different sort of situation for them. But I do feel like watching them, like, oh, I don't think there's anything, you know, maybe, like, you cut something to explore something else. But, like, time-wise, shot-wise, like, they're using everything they have, and it doesn't feel long. And these are, like, really great 90-minute movies. I was going to say, a quick 90-minute storytelling, I'm into that. Yeah. And so I, I just think this is a really, really good example of, like how something doesn't need to be two hours and 10 minutes to be enjoyable, to really tell a story, to develop all sorts of character Mm -hmm. and like really like punch it up in a whole bunch of ways by showing like what's important, uh, you know, what's, what's sort of key and then just sort of moving to the next thing. So, uh, way to go, Jeff. I'm so proud of you. Maybe I just like Canadian movies. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe that's it. Um, we can get into with a bit of time we've got next the uh, um the second film that we watched um uh Sean would you like to talk about blood blood quantum for yes. a bit I still don't know why it's called that it's you still don't? a great title no why was it called we'll blood let, quantum we'll explain it to you we'll explain okay. it um so this is Jeff Burnaby's other film we watched this week when he got a little more a little more funding I would say because mm. he's Probably. got some sets going on he's got some mm-hmm. prosthetics he's He's got people being zombies um, because the plot of this one is that uh, there is like a zombie virus going around, but it does not affect you if you are indigenous. Um, And they don't really go into a lot of detail about that, which is fine. It would get bogged down in science Mm -hmm. and just like, uh, okay, I don't understand it. But I... Like, what was I, what was I going to say? And basically the story follows like a small Mi'kmaq community during the apocalypse in guess where Red Crow Reserve in Quebec. Um, and yeah, it was just like, it was, I feel like a great commentary sort of disguised as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like if your colonial structure turns against you mm. in a lot of ways. Which, spoiler alert, it does. 
And it, it, de- de- it dehumanizes yeah. us all, and I think we're all living the consequences of that in real time. But uh-huh. that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But yeah, so um, I think the yeah. I think the title Jer is a play on like are you you're familiar with the kind of colonial concept of blood quantum? No, I have no idea what that means. Oh, okay, so it was yeah. the colonial measurement for determining whether or not a person was a status Indian, and that's well, that, I'm using that well, language deliberately. Yeah, well, that's that's clever AF. Yeah. It's really clever. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, that's brilliant. That's that's yeah, that fits in so well with everything. I had mm-hmm. no clue. Because obviously, it's it's very rejected by most indigenous folks as a a colonial measurement that has no relationship to indigenous ways of being and community structures and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff so it's yeah but did you not expect because of that like when they were bringing uh new people into the camp and they were like no they're white throw them out i Mm -hmm. fully expected a lot of them to be like i'm a quarter indigenous i swear like i thought it was gonna (laughs) go (laughs) my grandmother was an apache princess yeah i fully thought it was going to turn like in that way and i was like this is really funny but it didn't actually do that. But he no. could have leaned a little more in that way. Absolutely. Um, but basically, it builds this big sense of dread right off the beginning, where, um, where the main character's dad is a fisherman. He gets a he gets a bunch of fish. He's like killing them. He's cleaning them, and then all of a sudden, they just start slapping back to life, and he is obviously disturbed. And then. Opening credits roll. And I was like, this is great. It's so scary. Uh it, it really is. And um I the the sort of first act, I guess you would call it before, um, is also really terrifying in a way that I feel like we don't usually get to see where we all know what's happening, right? Like we know it's a zombie movie, we know what's gonna happen. And for quite a while, they just choose to hide it and show the reactions of people who don't know what's going on. And it was so I don't like to stay in that space for too long, honestly. Yeah, it was like it was it was such an enjoyable, like, moment to moment thing as they're, you know, like we know what's happening at the other end of that hospital. And then they just cut away to like another person dealing with it uh, for, I don't know, like a half hour or something, Mm -hmm. 40 minutes, maybe. Yeah. Um, And then. Uh, well, keep going, Sean. You keep telling about what happens because it's one well, of my basically, yeah. They're stories. like, oh, we find out that there is a zombies. Um, we all sort of we figure it out. We survive. Abrupt six month cut to the future, which doesn't happen often, I would say, to show them having a very set up, established camp, and um, the um. The main character has a, or one of the main characters, I guess, has mm-hmm. a brother that's kind of troublesome, to say the least. <laughs> and I didn't quite know where their relationship was going to go, his relationship with Lysol. And mm-hmm. the character's name is Lysol. And then that character takes a real, a real turn. Not, maybe not a turn. A devolution. I don't know. He basically turns into the villain. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I was like, why? Or I guess, I don't know. Did they build up to you guys that he was going to turn that? Uh, I think so. I think, yeah, I think there was some. And yeah, Sean, do you watch a lot of zombie movies? I do. 
Well, because I maybe I feel like it it hits all the notes, right? Like there's always a guy who, like at this point, you're kind of expecting to try and figure out like which one it's going to be. True, and that, they were kind of talking about it all before. Up. Yeah, before the whole the whole situation. Um, As well, an I aside, th- my dumbest, the dumbest zombie trope to me is when they're like, "Did you ever get bit?" and people are like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, you have to do a full body check because they are yeah. lying to you and they always mm-hmm. are. And But I do think that it's that's really effective in this movie because I think it is a really interesting metaphor for the, the casual ways in which white people constantly inflict violence on indigenous folks and are completely oblivious to, or or not even oblivious to, but are just like so unthinking about that kind of selfishness and inflicting that harm. And so, you know, in this movie, a white person not admitting that they've been bitten and then coming into the camp is putting everyone at jeopardy. But there, so I think it's an interesting kind of parable about um, like white entitlement and that, that casual infliction of violence that I thought was really effective. And there is the scene when one of the new white comers is bringing a blanket and, Mm -hmm. and she is like, what are you doing, you idiot? And like just throws it in the, <laughs> throws it in the fire. I'm like, you can't bring that in here. Yeah. No, this is too good. Um, anyway, you guys, with that, we're going to have to put a, a little pause in our uh, discussion here. But we will resume in a moment after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Spoiler Alert on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. Welcome back to Spoiler Alert on 91.3 FM CJ, CJTR, Regina Community Radio. Um, we're talking about uh, some films for nat- National Indigenous History Month. But first, does anyone know what time it is? Anyone have any clue what time, time it is? It's January? Um, it is. It is January. It's game time, people. What? Wah, 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 wah. Uh, for those who don't know, or if you're just tuning in, the game is where I spend literally seven minutes this week looking for a title related to our topic that these two have hopefully not seen. Uh, I tell them the title, they tell me what they think it's about, I tell them what it's really about, and we all have a great time. Hey, are you guys uh, ready to play the game? Ready. Uh, this week's title is The Last Explorer. That title again, The Last Explorer. The Last Explorer. The Last Explorer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go. I believe that this is a again out an apocalypse. Not apocalypse, but uh an end of a nearing the end of times film. Um <laughs> and it follows a young indigenous woman. Uh she lives like she lives uh her and her community are far away the like some sort of apocalypse has happened to sickness um, and they have outlasted it. They have lived longer than all the white people after we ran out of our like dried figs or whatever. And, (laughs) and in the new, in the new era, she and her people are like, we need to get off this earth. It's obviously like done here. And so they are like developing some space, some space technology and she is going to leave the Earth and go into space and try to, like, find a new place to settle. And it is tasked with her. She used to be an astronaut in the before times as well. That's convenient. This is how she, that's how she yeah. has some knowledge of this. Ooh, that's lucky. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. And uh, so, yeah, thank- she is. Um, that's what she's up to. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much. Uh, Sanj. Okay. Uh, what's the last explorer about? The last explorer. I think that this is a work of speculative fiction mm-hmm. that imagines what the history of the so-called new world might have been if Europeans had been turned away, had like never come, had not properly made contact. Missed So, it. yeah. So I think the film opens with in like, you know, oh golly, 16th century. I feel like it was before that. And because I think the Vikings came first, but now I'm like, oh no, my history is bad. Do you know what? That, mm-hmm. Leave the history. Well, leave the history vague, but someone shows up and mm-hmm. the indigenous people that they meet are like, listen, it's terrible here. Um, it's a blight. There's nothing like there's nothing for you here. And maybe something really scary and violent happens. Like not that they do something scary and violent, but like there's like a big scary animal and they kind of convince the deeply foolish and naive European explorers that the whole, you know, continent is populated by this, these like horrible monsters. And so they turn around and they never return. And so I think this is like imagining what the Americas would have been like without contact. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you both for your submissions. Um, both very interesting. I would like to see both of them. Uh, unfortunately, not not correct. Uh. Um, we uh, we have not uh, we we have not talked a lot about our next director, whose name I will save for a big reveal later in the show. Um, <laughs> but uh, if uh, if Jeff gets two films, he gets two films. And the Last <laughs> Explorer is uh, a film he made in two thousand nine. Uh, it's a historical documentary about the famous American Hubbard expeditions through the wilderness in Labrador in 1903 and 1905 and from the from the tagline adventure starvation forbidden love and death um and it's told through the um the the main character is a a cree trapper who guided them and is uh i believe in some way related to the director but um uh it looks interesting it's very short it looks very very low budget I cannot find a way to watch it or anything at all. Hmm. So um, if you if you do, then you will be the last explorer who has found it so that we can all check it out. Forbidden um, love, you say. If for, I'm getting love. gay vibes. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> uh, not quite, but uh, I mean, whatever. You whatever haven't seen it. You don't know the true. vibes. That is true. Yeah, Jay. I'm just, I'm trying to impose, impose your colonial understandings of sexuality on us. I'm the one looking at the stills here. You go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, you guys, thank you for playing the game. Thank, thank you. you. Um, we were sort of smack dab in the middle of talking about uh, 2019's best movie, uh, Blood Quantum. Uh, what? Uh, did you guys have any other thoughts before we move on to our final final film for discussion? Other than I think. Like everyone should watch this movie. Yeah, this movie was cool. I I got we were just talking on the break that it probably got a bit of the COVID uh, implosion mm-hmm. uh, as a 2019 end of late 2019 film because I remember seeing a lot like a few trailers for this and being like this is cool mm-hmm. and then it kind of like disappeared until I was like uh, 
and I until I searched it out for this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really um, good. Yeah. yeah, and also that he has in both films we watched, he inserted a bit of some animation styles mm-hmm. that I found very like striking, and I appreciated that from him too. Yeah, I thought it was well. I thought it was a bit better in uh, Rhymes for Young Ghouls. I think. Oh really? Yeah. No, I was I was definitely more into it than than the other time, uh, and maybe because it's like possibly too literal the second in the second go around. Mm-hmm. Well, it did fit Rhymes for Young Ghouls because it was seemingly more of a dreamy sequence, where yeah. it kind of just kind of a little bit came out of nowhere in Blood Quantum. Mm-hmm. But still, still good, still good. I did. Oh, I did. Just want to mention, um, Stonehorse Lone Goman, who played the the like the grandpa. I um, loved him. I just loved him. I loved his performance. Um, yeah, I I really loved it. And oh, I wanted to say also, um, I really thought it was wonderful to hear Mi'kmaq spoken in both uh of Jeff Barnaby's movies. You know, like the um. More indigenous language films is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Things should be in the language that they're in. Mm-hmm. That is what that is that is what the three of us have made a solemn vow to agree. I don't know if we did that, but uh, <laughs> yep, that's, blood and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't blood. say that, but that's okay. curiously. <laughs> um, our last selection this week uh, was a move was my pick. Uh, it's a movie I have meant to watch for oh so long, mm. and finally got to. So first and foremost, the reason that I know of this at all in the first place is that the director's name is Neil Diamond, and uh, I like to think of him. <laughs> he does as, so many things. Yeah, I like to think of him as like the better Neil Diamond. You know, there's like the whole Elvis, uh, Elvis thing with the two Elvises. Anyway, but uh, who are the that, two Elvises? Do we know? No. Yeah. Oh. Has anyone ever Stoico. made that mistake? <laughs> not it's not a mistake. It's it's there are people who prefer one and people who okay. prefer the other. So it's you know, it's like the better Elvis. Anyway. Um one of them the didn't steal his whole oeuvre from black people, so he's got my vote. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so the better Neil Diamond, um, who is uh a Canadian filmmaker. Um, anyway, this is a 90 minute long documentary uh, called Real Engine. Real spelled R E E L, mm-hmm. as in film reel. The movies, baby. And, yeah. And um, it kind of frames uh, the entirety of film, North, well, films in North America, so Hollywood film, um, and their relationships to uh, Aboriginal people or Indian people, as they would refer to them uh, throughout the film. Uh, it's kind of a really great, like, road movie as Neil drives around in this res car, which is crazy, and uh, goes from site to site talking about, like, depictions in cinema and what they actually look like and how that affected things and how that affected real stories and real goings-on and how, you know, like, there's a really great uh, sort of sequence where it talks about, like, all the nation's you know, all over North America and how they may have looked or didn't look 
And then Hollywood just made them all look the same yeah, with just, this weird, like, oh my God. mishmashy thing. The Hollywoodification of uh, indigenous people is the part that I thought was so, like, funny, but also insane. Was he was like, we didn't really wear headbands, yeah. but in movies, it a headband is really helpful for keeping your wigs on for doing <laughs> action sequences and stuff. So basically a lot of the indigenous like costume in like mm-hmm. air quotes is because of the Hollywoodification of costuming, like just logistically dressing mm-hmm. their actors. And I was like, uh, that is so crazy and sad. And it also does like a really great job of sort of capturing like attitudes kind of decade by decade mm-hmm. almost. Um, through Except for the cinema. 80s, where he literally <laughs> says, not much here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he captured it. But, um, you know, like it was interesting how, you know, early on that depictions of uh, indigenous people had, you know, they're like sort of wiser or, you know, more spiritual or whatever. And then John Wayne came and like they just had to kill them all. And then after that, they sort of had to like, you know, fix it a little bit. But they had these depictions that, like, sort of just wouldn't go away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was surprised, because this was made in 2009, um, I was surprised that they kind of, like, showed a lot of progress, like, in the 90s. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, and I know that that's, like, we're already well beyond where that was. But, uh, you know, they talk about, you know, Dances with Wolves and how, like, all these different leaps were sort of made. And, uh, you know, of course, it's not like a stereotypical depiction, but it's still not quite great. <laughs> and we know that now. But anyway, uh, just like the twist it? into it being cool to be indigenous mm-hmm. in the 90s. And, yeah. ha- and then white people were like, oh, now we're in. And now we want now we'll actually just play them. We would like to do that. Yeah. And he he is so funny because he just like. I, his sense of humor, I was like dying. He's just doing, mm-hmm. he's going to these places. He went to this like camp for like white boys to be indigenous. Oh my God. And he is just like bemused, like watching these children be taught how to be indigenous uh, by this like Austrian camp counselor <laughs> who is like, yeah, I've seen a movie or two and uh, I think I really get the vibe. <laughs> and it was, or like he went to this wild west, like, reenactment like westworld thing and oh my god it was crazy um but yeah he he essentially is is like um the idea is that cinema was created to film indigenous people is kind of Mm -hmm. how he's like Mm -hmm. we were here at the very beginning yeah and that was like it was really cool i i had a great time during this documentary i gotta say i found it very Mm -hmm. interesting yeah, I'm I'm so glad you picked this, Jer, because it just the the way that he framed everything and kind of the way he categorized things in terms of like here is like westerns and here is yeah, this like, you know, mythical, like stoic stereotype mm-hmm. and where where this cropped up and then here's yeah, where it became cool. Um yeah, I thought it was super effective. Um I was so interested to learn 
about the the prevalence of indigenous folks in silent film and how in some ways those depictions were a lot less harmful than what came after like yeah. that's so fascinating to me and yeah just that idea that like just the never ending consumptive drive of whiteness and white supremacy that literally yeah like cinema was created to in a way like consume indigenous mm -hmm. people as as content while yeah. simultaneously you know we were committing genocide against them um mm -hmm. so yeah i think it was super effective and yeah super interesting mm -hmm. and he like brought up his own experience of just mm -hmm. watching cowboys and indian like films and being like wait like <laughs> him realizing like Wait, the people that are shooting are like me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was a part where he's like showing us uh, a classroom of young indigenous kids, like an old Hollywood movie and just kind of filming their reactions. That was like, that was some Michael Moore style. Like, yeah, that broke oh my, my God. Mm -hmm. um, a part that I also thought was very interesting was language, indigenous language mm -hmm. on film. Um, because they, white people didn't know how to handle it. And they, in some films, he's like, they just played the English lines backwards. Mm -hmm. And then he showed some examples of that. And it's insane. And then people are just talking like the devil. It's just like, yep, yep, yep. Uh, but there were also uh, instances where they just asked them to talk. And they just sort of got like, they could stick it to them about, you know. And they saying, just like, made fun of them. That was my favorite and, part. Yeah. Yeah, that was my favorite part was that they dug up this old western where like they just asked the indigenous actors to just speak in their own language. I think it was Apache maybe. So yeah, something like that, yeah. Um and He's like, obviously never bothered to like <laughs> translate it or anything. And so then uh Neil Diamond got someone to translate it and so they like play it with the the <laughs> captions of what they're actually saying and yeah they're like fully insulting the white actors like it was just this these this beautiful moment of mm -hmm. resistance that beautiful really resistance. Is, like, it was great yeah where it's like all of the actors are just like just winking at each other yeah their, mm -hmm. their sense of humor is so like just like the biggest strength honestly yeah and that and that's also how um it's framed at the end of the film because it is about ultimately about resiliency mm -hmm. and like how, and you know, you learn that the reason that this is a funny expedition through all this stuff is because that's how all these people are dealing with it. Right. Is that like, it is a thing that's ultimately kind of funny. And you know, if it, if we, if they can't laugh at it, what, like what else do they have? And um I was, I, I was impressed. So Clint Eastwood does appear in this film to mm -hmm. talk about his thoughts, um, which is like kind of interesting, maybe. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> there's know, like, layers as, to it. It's, some of the appearances yeah. were funny. Well, yeah, yeah. Jim Jarmusch. I was Jim like, Jarmusch. Yeah, Jim like, Jarmusch here. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think getting Clint Eastwood adds like a lot of legitimacy to the whole situation. And I do like, I do really wonder about, you know, like, there must have been conversations about how to depict people. And it's like, 
oh, people just won't understand, so we have to do it the old way, you know? And that probably still happens now. You know, like, how, like, how do you depict someone from a particular place? You don't know, so you just do the old Hollywood style, mm. you know? And it's just totally wrong, and now, ultimately, like, hilariously wrong. Because it wasn't a thing. Especially with a headband. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is it's- crazy, though, that we just keep blowing it. Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember recently Adam Sandler had that Netflix series that like oh, Hateful Eight uh, that a bunch of no Hateful Eight's like Are I think about like Hateful Eight is like to die in the West or something no no um but anyway it was just like um a bunch of indigenous actors just like walked off of it mm-hmm. um just like you know ways we keep blowing it. Well, and I think one thing that this documentary highlights that I think is really important to think about is how our understandings of Indigenous people writ large, but also our own history, have been shaped by these really deeply flawed media portrayals mm-hmm. and like the relationship between that and politics and how mm-hmm. um, it's contributed to ideas that I think still are so harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other the other half of this, the film does not address this, but this is a thing that I've always thought was strange and again awkwardly funny, is like the the Wild West that Americans think of like that didn't happen. Yeah. Right? Like it's it's all a fairy tale. Like it's not you know, like were there legends and bounties? Sure. But like it's not what we saw. It was not John Wayne, you know, like that's that's not the reality of what happened. And, uh, you know, at least, you know, we're getting to a point where we can recognize that one, one part, you know, one part of that fairy tale was not accurate, but, uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg here in terms of, uh, my least favorite word of all time, Americana. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Well, yeah, which is all just predicated on fiction. Yeah, essentially, that's, uh, basically it. Yeah. So, Unless you're uh, talking about processed cheese, in which that is <laughs> right on the money. That's as the real next, as she can be, baby. <laughs> the next episode is just about the government cheese and the cheese vaults. The cheese in caves, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, with that, you guys, I think we're close to closing down our conversation about this. I think we can all, uh, in resounding agreement, say that these are probably some of the best films we watched. In a, like we haven't had a show where like everything we watched was good for a while. I know we true? usually choose. We're like, let's do bad movies. Um, yeah, it yeah. really. I was like, I need to watch Smoke Signals. Is what I need to Same. do. Same. Yep. That looks yeah. great. Yeah. So I think that the more, the more content from at least these creators that we can see, the better. And the more people who see this content, the better. So let's let's get it let's get it plastered around here. Um, let's get plastered. Let's do it. Anything else to say before we move into our next segment? No. Called What You Watching? So guys, what have you been watching? You watch anything? Well, I am actually picking a listening uh, for this oh. week and kind of keeping with our theme. Um, I've been listening to the latest podcast um, by Connie Walker, who is a really great journalist from right here in Saskatchewan. She's Cree. Um, 
and it this podcast is called Stolen Surviving St. Michael's, um, which is essentially about uh, after the death of her father, she heard a story from her brother about one night when her father pulled over, he was an RCMP officer, and he pulled over um, what he thought was a drunk driver, and in the front seat was the priest who had abused him at residential school, um, and he pulled him out of the car and beat the tar out of him, and then drove home and thought, I'm going to be fired. Um, like, he basically just blacked out and did that, uh, but n- nothing ever came of it. No one ever said anything. Um, and so this isn't something she ever learned about in her father's lifetime. So this is about her um, trying to find out if she can find out who that priest was and basically just exploring um, a bunch of her family's history with St. Michael's Residential School, which is here in Saskatchewan. And actually, my cousins grew up in Duck Lake, um, which is in the same community. And um, so, yeah, it's just she's an incredible investigative journalist And I think it's really important to absorb these stories and absorb some of the really important investigative work that's going on right now because a lot of the records of stuff are being destroyed by our government and are not made available. And so there are lots of people trying to free that information. Sorry, this is a really jumbled and like shortened explanation because we don't have that much time, but I would really encourage people to give it a listen. It's got a lot of tough content, but it's really important stuff to to hear about that's heavy i had not heard of that yeah it's wild absolutely john you watch anything listen to anything um here and seeing yeah i guess i'll i'm i'm reading a a book right now that is very interesting um Mm -hmm. it is called manhunt um and it is about uh, a dystopian society where uh, people with XY chromosomes basically are like affected and turn into zombies and they are like feral, like dog people. And then our story follows two trans women who are surviving the apocalypse and they are also, um, they survive by sort of harvesting the testicles off of uh, these like feral zombie men that they kill. Um, and then they're also being pursued by like a military like turf army and it's very fun and violent and just gory and just a good of an interesting summer read Mm. that's what i'm doing oh cool um i uh in the moment we have left uh i've i finished along with the rest of the world kenobi obi-wan kenobi Mm. uh which was very well done uh i Star Wars is is good to watch. There were some cool visual things that happened. Uh, it is very hard to watch a show with literally no stakes. Because yeah. we know what happens. Like, they have to, you know, and the way they make TV, they have to wrap up each season. So everything has to be yeah. okay by the end. And so, you know, we're we're ready for that big confrontation. And we just all are sitting there literally having a conversation out loud about, like, this can't go anywhere. Like, this, you know. Anyway, maybe, Disney, it's time to tell some other stories. Never. Perhaps. Never. Of just highlighting the gaps between other things. Like uh, Ms. Marvel, all... which I started watching, and it's <laughs> uh, That's all the time we have, folks. I'd like to give a shout-out to the Garys for the use of our theme song, Manituna. My co-hosts, Sonia and Sean, everyone at CJTR, and to our listeners, 
Spoiler Alert is broadcast live Wednesdays at 6 p.m., rebroadcast Fridays at 3, and is available as a podcast on CJTR's website. We're on Twitter at SpoilerAlertYQR and Instagram at SpoilerAlertCJTR. My Electric is coming up next. Bye. Bye. See ya.